up, everybody? This is Alternate Take, and I am your host. Welcome back. On this episode, we brought you guys another sports legend. We brought you guys Coach Ken Carter, famously depicted in the hit movie Coach Carter, where he's played by Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, man, this was this was an epic interview, man. He He's exactly what you think he would be. Let's just put it that way, man. Like when you see the movie and then you, you you see what he's about and you see how he handles his team and how well it's played by Samuel L. And then now getting to talk to him, he's exactly what I thought. And it's the coolest thing ever, man. Uh, the most humble guy in the room, the nicest guy, the hardest working guy. And uh, it was an honor to talk to him, man. So I'm going to let him tell his story. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just shut up here. And let Coach Ken Carter do what he does best, man, and which is uh, spread wisdom. So without further ado, I bring to you Coach Ken Carter. Well, uh, for all you alternate take listeners, we brought you guys a, a real surprise and a real gift today. We brought you guys Coach Ken Carter of the infamous, phenomenal movie, Coach Carter. How you doing, sir? I'm absolutely terrific, young man. And yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Can't complain. Holidays are coming up. I'm a lucky man, sir. I can't complain. Yeah. Yes. Well, sir, uh, I do this with all my uh, people that I interview. I always like to start with uh, their background, specifically starting from their childhood. I always feel like that's a huge part of uh, their upbringing and what created their ideologies and their successes later. So if you don't mind, sir, let's let's start in Richmond, California. Yeah, we're going to start actually before then. I'm from a family of nine. I have seven sisters and one brother. And believe it or not, this Friday, my brother is being inducted into the Football Hall of Fame in Macomb, Mississippi at wow. Alabama State University. So that's a big weekend for us. But I was born in Macomb, Mississippi. That's M, little C, big C, O-M-B. And as you're exiting the road going to Macomb, Mississippi, at the top of this sign, it says, you're now entering Macomb, Mississippi. And at the bottom of that same sign, it says you're now leaving Macomb, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I um, stayed in Mississippi, believe it or not, until I was uh, 12 years old and our family moved from there to Richmond, California. I used wow. to God every day for five years, from age seven to age five, uh, 12, God, please get me to California. And he did listen, but I didn't give him all the instructions. And he moved me to the most dangerous city in the state of California. <laughs> Here you go, sir. This is what you wanted. You're going to get Richmond, California. There it is. Yes, sir. And um, it was just, honestly, I never looked at Richmond. Everybody always talked about the problems and they, they had there in Richmond, sir. I just look at, looked at it as an opportunity to do better. And so wow. that exactly what I did. So, and that's what exactly what we try to do each and every day, whether you're educating kids in Mississippi, Texas, Florida, New York, educating kids or educating kids. And one third of our population are kids. And so, but they're 100% of our future. So yes, we sir. have the kids and my childhood, uh, you know, my family, um, I always say I got the greatest, greatest big brother in the world and the greatest big sister in the world. And uh, I was nourished and uh, taken care of by my family. And, and I tell people all the time that family is extremely important in, in, in growing as a person. A lot of people think, sir, that you have to be the, <clears throat> in the right place at the right time to be successful. There's a, a third element that people don't talk about. You have to be the right person in the right place at the right time. And so that's what life is about, having options and positioning yourself so you can have these great opportunities that happen in your life. Yes, yeah, sir. I totally agree. I I, uh, I like what you mentioned about family being so important to you. I, I feel yes. like uh, that is a huge part of your success, especially um, I, I heard an interview with you. I believe I heard it was with your sister. She had mentioned that being raised in Mississippi had a different aspect of what family meant as to what she saw when you guys moved to California. Can you elaborate yes. a little bit on that and how important that was and you being the youngest of a, such a huge family? Yes, sir. So what, what people fail to realize is simply this. Doing the right thing when nobody's looking, that's what I consider success. And, and I have two definitions of success. And success is simply this. 
how often you do things and the intensity in which you do it. And what you do a lot of, you will do well. And what you do well, you'll do a lot of. It's just that simple. People try to complicate it. They read all these motivational books and all of that other thing. And it all says one thing, get off your ass and go to work. <laughs> See, hard work is a skill. See, and that's what a lot of people fail to realize. Hard work is a skill. And you'll gain the knowledge as you start to progress in whatever you're doing. And you just simply have to write things down. What is a goal? A goal is just a great idea with a deadline. So you got to give yourself these points in your, your, your day and in your life but you look at so you can measure yourself and see where you at in this big old thing we call life. And you got to live this thing called life because you can't get out alive. So while you're here, you need, you need to live it. <laughs> I definitely agree, sir. I, I also liked what you said uh, just right now where you mentioned that right place, right time and the right person for that environment. Because um, I was thinking about asking you like certain questions like uh, about your character, sir, in terms of like a lot of people have are defined by their environment. Um, which can be good and bad. It's it's usually bad, but can be very good. And then some people, it doesn't matter where they're at in a, and they can be in a rich neighborhood. They can be in a poor neighborhood. They'll be successful regardless. And those people are just unique and very phenomenal. You seem to be one of those people, but also in in a poor neighborhood, and you seem to be a leader. And you seem to be a leader in an area where it's easy to be a sheep and it's easy to be a follower and to a lot of bad things. Um, that being said, how did basketball come into your life, and how did you use that? to like stay focused and become a leader in such a community that was so torn apart? Well, what people don't understand is simply this. Uh, in our family and in our neighborhood, we were just broke. We was never poor. So there's a difference between being broke and being poor. Being broke is just an economic condition. Being poor is a disabling frame of mind and a depressor one's condition. See, I was never depressed. I was just broke. <laughs> and I, I tell people all the time, our family was so broke when we passed by the bank, it actually set off the alarm. <laughs> but when you can laugh at yourself, I just think it just makes things that the that burden a little bit easier to bear. And another thing, since the beginning of time, winter, spring, summer, and fall, springtime have always followed winter. So in the seasons of life, there's going to be some winters. And some of them are real long and harsh. You understand? And then some are, are lighter. But if you're prepared, if you have the, the wood stacked next to the, the stove, the heater, uh, I'm showing my age now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say to the fireplace, give me heat. And guess what? In July, I, I put some wood in the fireplace. No, you have to put some wood in the fireplace in October. You understand getting ready for winter. So it's all about preparing yourself because winter is going to show up. But guess what comes since the beginning of time? Springtime, I've always followed winter. So this thing is called the seasons of life. I couldn't agree more. And uh, did you think that was something you truly thought when you were playing uh, basketball at Richmond? Or is that something you, I guess, uh, adapted later on in life as you, become a, as you became a man and started you know, going to college and whatnot? Well, I knew, always knew a better day was coming. Because uh, I always would write things down. At seven years old, I wrote down that they was going to make a movie about me and gave that note to my mom. Wow. And uh, I said, Mom, I'm going to buy you a big house and pay off all of your bills and you'll never have to cry ever, ever again. And, you know, the only problem with that, it took Paramount Pictures basically 40 years to make the story, but they got around to it. <laughs> <laughs> if you write things down statistically, uh Things are 10 times more likely to come true in your life if you write your goals down and write your ideas down. It's amazing. <laughs> Writing them down crystallizes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, sir. I think there's a, a uh, I actually started doing stand-up comedy a couple of years ago. Not consistently, just I really just wanted to beat the fear of, you know, getting on stage and whatnot. And I wanted to try and just try to become mentally tougher and whatnot. And one of my, yes. favorite, one of my favorite comedians at the time, uh, I heard him say that in a podcast. His name is Joey Diaz. And he mentioned that the power of the pen and writing down your goals. And I, and I remember really thinking about that. And I kind of was like, well, I don't know if that's, you know, maybe that works for him. And it was mm -hmm. so not true because it works for everybody. As soon as I did it for myself, it, it 
You're right. It crystallized everything. You hold yourself accountable now because that, that ink is never going away. And see, when we're talking about being successful and getting things done, it's time management. You know, don't let people and other things steal your time. And when you can manage those things, like every year I would give our kids $100,000 on paper. So that means they have to make $67 per hour, $1.12 per minute. And so when somebody would steal, uh, they'd go goof off for an hour. They'd come back and say, Coach Carter, man, I just lost $67. So they start equating their time to money. And, you know, when I promised my mom, I said, my mom pay off all of your bills and buy you a big house. And you look at me and thinking, like, Coach, do you buy your mama a big house? Yes, I did. Coach, did you pay off all of her bills? No. My mama is the expensive girl. <laughs> <laughs> Seven sisters, you learn to pay on the bill. Don't pay them off. Because they have the ability to charge them up again. <laughs> so this thing called success, you have to learn. And when I think I see the change in my life, it's when I became a lifelong learner and I started reading. Reading changed my life, period, hands down. So you got to read the books, you understand? And it's kind of like your body saying, let's go, let's go. But mentally, you're not there. You understand? You're just not there mentally. And it's funny when you sit there and mentally you're ready, you, your mind is ready, but your body, you know, you, you just you fall on the floor, you can't even do two push-ups. <laughs> But do the one and next week, try to do two and then try to do three, you know, so you have to have your mind and body together to be successful. So if your personal life is messed up, you can't have a great business life. You know what I'm saying? How do you want to go take on the world and you haven't even cleaned out your garage? <laughs> it don't work that way. <laughs> yes, sir. I couldn't agree more with the reading too. Uh, I picked up reading very late in life, sir. I, I, I would say 2014 or so, 2014 or 15. And uh, it was something I knew I needed to do. It was, uh, I delayed my education for a long time. I delayed my uh, intellectual growth for a long time. But soon as I embraced it, soon as I, uh, as uh, one of my uh, favorite books, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, where I, I, I took ownership of my, you know, failures or whatnot. I became obsessed with reading books and it's interesting how that turns out too, because you do get, man, you get humbled really quick. You get a lot more knowledgeable. Uh, you get a lot better at your time. You get a lot smarter. You get a lot more enthusiastic and motivated and more disciplined. Um, but with that, there actually, it does come. I was surprised by this. There actually does come a little bit of loneliness because you separate yourself from the group very quickly. All those people that you're really close with and friends, they're still your friends and you still love them. But you're just miles ahead of them now intellectually and everything. And it's like, man, and it's tough because how do you relate with this person besides the things that we've already done in our childhood? And it's, it's, a, uh, it's okay. It's normal. It's part of the process, but that part was interesting to me. I didn't see that coming. Yep. Well, it's lonely at the top, as they say, it's crowded at the bottom, but as you start to ascend, you're, you start noticing it's not as crowded. And I guess that's why a bus have 40 seats and a poor shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now, I would imagine you probably had the same mindset too um, when you became, a, when you left Richmond and you came back as a coach and you're trying to adapt these principles into the program uh, for a school that has all of its own problems already. And, and you're alone in your thinking. And uh, tell me about that process. Sir. I mean, the movie does a great, Great way of describing it, but I mean, uh, from your words, it's a completely different story. Yeah, well, you only have two hours to tell a story, basically. And then you have all these different characters. But it was one thing, basketball was the hook, education was the goal. And I wanted our kids to be high school grads, not high school dads. That was my only goal, simple as that. And so we had to put some things in place for them to be successful. And so that's where the contract came into play. When you buy a car, you buy a house, you get married, anything extremely important, you have to sign a document. And so that's what I did. We put a document together and the 12 things on the, the list just for the players, only one of them related to basketball. All the other things related to their lives and school. And then the coaching staff had a set of values and then the parents. And so we had all three people who had to sign that document. The kid, 
the coaching staff, and the parent. And so I would like to say this, young man, this lockout is the only lockout in the history of sports where everybody won. Our student athletes won, our school won, but most of all, our community won because these boys shape our community. And now I hear people say, you know, I'm a Coach Carter, you. We shape the whole world. And Coach Carter now is the most shown movie in the history of Hollywood since 2005. Wow. Translated into like 36 different languages. Jesus. And, and you know what's, you know, what's so uh, interesting to me about that, sir, is that like your style of coaching, uh, the life, the life lessons that you gave to the kids. Uh, it's so, it's so, res- it's so respected and it's so admired, but at the same time, it's something that we're trying to steer away from in, in current society. And it's very interesting to me because I've never understood how um, I have a uh, parents in their fifties and, uh, and even for my childhood, like the one thing that we love to pridefully talk about our, our past is, is the, is the stories we went through and the admir and the things that were like tough to get through and, and all the things and all the responsibilities that we had. And man, I remember I was done doing this and this and that. And then you talk about those stories and you laugh and you're, and you're proud of yourself for getting through those things. But in the next breath, you'll do everything to make sure your child doesn't go through the same experiences. And it's very interesting to me. How do you uh, see that going now? So you're like, what's your take on, on modern society? And if it's, if it's going in the right direction, you know, sometime, um, when you're trying to take the path of least resistance, it leads to a minefield. <laughs> and so our kids need to have some struggle. All the apples don't fall off the tree at the same time. And I don't know if you're a gardener, but if you plant a crop, uh, 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 you know, plant all vegetables and, and you name it, carrots, corn, I grow everything here at the school. Now, there comes to a point where I have to make those plants struggle, those roots struggle to, to dig down in the dirt you know, for the water. You just can't water it all the time. And so uh, when I, you can just see it. When I cut back the water and let it struggle for a week or so, and then you put water on it, it just blossoms. It grows twice as fast. So everything we do, you know, you have to, the elasticity of the mind. You have to stretch it. So it's to get stronger and bigger. And just like with weights, you have to cut that muscle down to build it up. And that sounds strange, but you look at the U.S. military. First thing they do, they tear you down to build you up, to build, make you strong. And that's what we do when we start to read, when we start to study. And that's why I tell people, live your life because you can't get out alive. While you're here on this spinning planet, you no, know, do the very best you can. You know, smell the best you can. Look the best, very best you can. So it's great to be conscious, but not self-conscious. So do the very best you can. Look the very best you can. Do the very best you can. And then all the other stuff, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You know, I I do uh, love the idea of uh, responsibility for kids. I think it's I think it's so important, and I don't know why it's done or not done enough. I There's a funny story my dad tells, and, and I always use this story as, as an example because it just shows that there's equal weight on the kid and the, and the parents to make sure that this kid turns out. All right. Um, my, my older brother was the firstborn and my parents used to give him the responsibility of getting milk for the family. Uh, six years old. There's a liquor store down the street, but they would give him the responsibility of getting milk for the family. Now, in a six year old's head, it's pretty, it's pretty daunting. You know, you're giving new instructions. Here's the money. Don't lose it. Make sure you get the change. whatnot. Uh, don't talk to strangers, all that stuff. Um, my brother, you know, scared, I'm sure, pridefully went and got the milk and came back was and was very excited that he did that. It wasn't until like 20 years later where my dad told my brother that, yeah, we followed you in the car the whole time. We just didn't want you to know. We wanted you to feel like you were doing it on your own and to make sure that you followed our instructions, to make sure that you felt that fear, that you felt that anxiety, and that you felt like you were taking a step to becoming a man, even at six years old. And I found that fascinating that my parents did that and they had the brains to do that and they were willing to take time out of the day to make sure they did. I mean, they had normal jobs like everybody else. They're tired just like everybody else. They have dinner to cook, laundry to do, but they still were like, no, this is important. We're going to get in the car. He's not going to know and we're going to follow him. And it's funny how that story played out, but the idea of responsibility for a kid is to me is very important. Yeah. And you, you notice when people are really great at something, I had the experience of watching Mr. Samuel Jackson portray me 
I was on the set every single day. And he never stumbled on one single line the entire six months of shooting Coach Carter. Wow. Not one single line. Not one single line. He never stumbled. And not only did he know all of his lines, he knew everyone else's lines. So this man had remembered the entire movie. And you're talking about a professional. Never late, always on the X. One take Sam. I mean, just extraordinary in how he went about doing his profession. And people say, Coach, you have a lot of personality. How come you didn't play yourself? I have zero credits in Hollywood. <laughs> I have an opportunity to have the most highest grossing actor in the history of Hollywood to portray me. That's kind of like being a lawyer and trying to represent yourself. <laughs> I'm going to court trying to represent myself. I'm going to stay in my lane. And see, there's things to this in life. There's rules to life. You got to stay in your lane. And a lot of people don't know what their lane is. And see, everybody know what they what they want. You ask me, oh, I want a big car. I want a big house. I want, you know, they, they can always tell you what they want. But it's just as important to know what you don't want. Yeah, I totally agree, sir. I, I 100% agree. Um, and that's what people get mixed up and they get confused and, you know, they start looking at other people. And I tell everybody, you need to get you a theme song. Batman has one. You remember Spider-Man has one. And you have to stay in your lane. Do you ever see Robin drive the Batmobile? No. <laughs> no, he didn't. Did you see Robin with a utility belt? No. Batman had the utility belt. <laughs> Stay in your lane. People don't understand. Stay in your lane. Robin was, you know, it's like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Scottie Pippen was the perfect Robin, you know, for Michael. Right. And, and he was perfect. He played his role well. And all these years later, you're getting a little feedback with all the stuff that's happening and all the things that's been said. But what a great combination, you know what I mean, of how they did it. Shaq and Kobe, Magic and Kareem, Abdul Jabbar, you know, just phenomenal uh, dudes that went out and just changed the world. And so we had 45 boys in our program, the freshmen, the junior varsity, and the, and the varsity. And we had 15 on each level. But, sir, we were undefeated on all three levels when I locked the kids up. So people didn't understand. They thought it was just a varsity team. No, we was undefeated on all three levels. And uh, so I locked the entire program out. They weren't allowed to even come in the gym. They couldn't shoot free throws. I, if I seen them, you couldn't even touch a basketball, period. And so we spent that time and it was one of the most rewarding times as, as we grew as individuals and we grew as a team. But we had success academically before we had success on the basketball court. A lot of people don't understand that. And like now, people say, kids, coach, have really changed. I'm like, kids haven't changed. They haven't changed. If you set the, the, the bar real low, guess what? They'll get over it. If you set it real high, guess what? They'll get over it. And uh, I tell people, don't take your kid's cell phone. Let them keep their cell phone. Take their charger. <laughs> <laughs> take their charger. Let them keep the cell phone. <laughs> Down to 20%, their attitude is going to get better. <laughs> you know it's funny that uh you mentioned the lockout too because i found the most interesting part about the whole thing was was the reaction by the community and by the parents um it seems like they immediately forgot all the things that you kind of did for them and then um kind of forgot that the kids wouldn't be in the position they were in unless it was for you so i felt like in the movie that they were doing like you know like basketball is the only thing these kids have got and I got scouts coming to look at my boy and you're like, and then the viewers were going, yeah, they're coming because of coach. Cause coach got them that good. Like if coach Carter wasn't here, there's no scouts coming. There's none of this happening. So it was interesting how quick they forgot, you know, the importance of what your, what your goal was, your goal was not short-term. And I, and I think theirs was, and yours was long-term. And uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that experience? Like how, you know, isolated you felt with your goal and that everyone's kind of against you in that moment. Well, you got to realize only seven of the 45 kids had dads in the home. So they were never used to taking any type of authority from a male. 
And so I understood that. So I hired two female coaches. <laughs> and Sheila would tell them, go over there and give me, you know, 500 push-ups. They'll just immediately go over there and start doing the push-ups. <laughs> I would start out at 100. I said, go over there and give me 100 push-ups. And they, I got 200, I got 400, 800, 1,600. Now, you want to try for 3,200, young man? And so, but it was just real funny. So just, they had never been around someone who said they were going to do something and actually did it. And if I said, you know, 300 suicides, it was 300 suicides, period. Not 299. I had one kid did 299. And he thought, oh, you know, one coach ain't going to be tripping. But the next week came, but Friday came, he didn't play in the game. The next week came, okay, now he had to do 600. Oh my God. So all he had to do was do the one, but he was in his head. Oh, I'm not going to do it. I done did 300. But the, the sheet says you did 299. Period. The sheet is what counts. Coach, no, you know, I did 300. The sheet says you did 299. Now, young man, you can go do the one and play in the game tonight, or you can set out and we'll deal with the other. Concussion, I mean, byproducts of, you know, of this next week. And he decided, well, he's going to play me because he, we, we need to win. I didn't even let him suit up. <laughs> it's, it's awesome because I went back and listened to old interviews with, like, uh, your former players, and I heard, like, phrases like uh, too serious or mean or hard-nosed or, or suit and tie type of guy. And um, I figured, well, the only one who would really knew – that coming in was your son because your son obviously was raised by you. And I thought that was such a cool part of the movie. I remember seeing it in the theaters, by the way, but I remember it was such a cool part of the movie that scene, how they, they made it very authentic where your son goes up to you and basically restructures the whole contract and tells you, I'm willing to do this and I'm willing to do that. Um, even knowing how strict you are and, and, and willing to go to a, a lesser school at the time. And you know, tell me about that. You know, it's funny. Actually, side note before you tell me, we actually ran into the actor who played uh who played your son recently at the Rams game. It was funny. It was kind of a weird situation. I'm like, I'm about to interview. Robert Coach Rashad. Yeah, I was like, I'm about to interview Rob Coach Carter in like two weeks, and or and then you know you run into him. It's it's so crazy how the, the world works. But uh, yeah, tell me about that about that situation with your son. I thought that was phenomenal. Well, you know, we had worked all these years to you know to uh, to live a better life. And you're like, I wanted my sons to have opportunities that I didn't have. And uh, I had always been his coach. And when I took the job at Richmond High School, I told him, I said, dropping him off at school, uh, he was saying, Dad, you've always been my coach. I said, well, that was a personal choice for me. And I probably won't make your games because we have all our games. And, you know, he goes, after I paid full tuition, I write a check for the, the full tuition. <laughs> To this private school. <laughs> no refunds now. <laughs> and he goes, Dad, I withdraw from St. Francis and they're expecting me at Richmond High tomorrow. And here's the contract. You know, it was raining that night and I was going to put him out in the rain. How <laughs> 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 come you didn't tell me this like 48 hours ago before I put, wrote this uh, check that's non refundable? <laughs> um, but I amended the contract. He wanted a, a 3.5, and I went to a 3.7. Uh, he wanted to do 25 hours or so of community work. I said 60. Um, so we doubled everything <laughs> that was on the contract with him. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And the greatest thing about this, the first day of practice, he was late, you know, uh, getting to a couple of the classes and things of that nature because he had never been in a school that, that large. And, uh, you know, he's out on his blazer and tie and, you know, and everybody laughing at him and, you know, the whole yard half and they was calling him Malcolm X. <laughs> you, know, you got on the five browns, you know, because of, you know, the brown shoes, the brown slacks, you know, the little vest and the jacket. <laughs> so it was just real funny. But uh, he stayed strong. And the first day of practice, practice had started and he runs in the gym and he's late. And he's trying to explain to me, Dad, you know, I had to talk to my geometry teacher, you know, one of my teachers. That's why I'm late. And I'm going, listen, you have 30 suicides. Do them on the side where you can't disturb us. 
And he's looking at me like, what? It's my first day. I'm like, don't listen. I introduced him to the team. I said, this is Damian Carter. He is my son. I treated him no different than anybody else. You know what I mean? And so here we go. And that's one thing. We never talk basketball at home, even to this day. You know, we have never watched a basketball game together in the last, what, probably 20 years, 25 years. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Man, we watch all the other sports when they're around. We'll watch all the other sports. But it's basketball. Because we have too many opinions in it. And I'm a coach and, you know, all the other stuff. And as a freshman, he had scored 30 points in a game. And it was early in the season. I think it was like the second or third game of the season. He had scored uh, a large amount of points and assists. Had a great all-around game. And we're riding home. And most kids won't do this their entire career. And he did it like in his first three games of the season. And, and he said, Dad, uh, what can I improve on? And I had a list from the starting wheel to the front of the car. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, this don't make any sense. I said, we will never, ever talk basketball at home. Period. Ever, 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 never. When I'm at home, I'm dad. When we get to the gym, then we can talk basketball. And to that day, we still have that rule. Wow. Wow. I love the structure of that. And actually, speaking of the structure of that, I, I, I love the whole suit and tie idea. I thought that was phenomenal. I, to me, it you can relate it to so many things. You can relate it to a soldier having his uniform and how important that is to, to you know have it pressed all the time. It, you can relate it to a, a job interview and how important it is to show up looking sharp um you can you know they even have that scene in uh, uh the movie with will smith where he has a suit on everywhere he goes and I, I love that pursuit of happiness and uh what was that relevance to you like how, how important was that to you to make sure that those kids were always well dressed no matter what well it, you know i had to set a good example i was always in a, a suit every day that's the way i went to work at my sporting school and so i believed in you representing our brand the car brand and I have one goal every morning, and it's simply this, to add value to my family's name each and every day. I don't have any other thing. That's what I need to do every single day. Wow. Keep it that simple. And wearing a shirt and tie as a kid, sir, and this is, and I'm being honest with this, uh, you know, most kids have patches on, on their pants and stuff. You know, the boys have patches. Well, they called me Patches because I had a patch on a patch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had wore so many jeans, sir. I said, I would never wear another pair ever. And I just bought a, a pair of jeans probably about three years ago. <laughs> that I actually wear now start wearing jeans. <laughs> because I had, that's all I had as a kid. And, 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 and mom uh, would wash they had them on sale. So mama would wash one set of my clothes and it was a shirt and the pants, both sets was the same color. And they said, that kid wear the same clothes every day. But we wear one set, mama wash it and hang it up and we iron it. And then the, the next day she take this off and we wash it. And I wear, you, you understand? Every other day. But see, now that I look at this, I reset my preset. I started school uniforms <laughs> where everything to say so i started school uniforms it's just like the little kid on the geico commercial he swings and he's i'm the greatest hitter in the world and he kept throwing it up and he kept missing it he never hit the ball we preset and he said man i'm the greatest pitcher of all times <laughs> and what a crazy, a crazy game young man they give you a round ball and a round bat and tell you to hit it square. I mean, what a crazy game. Oh, and yeah. Young, but there was a guy named Manny Sanguin who played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he swung at every pitch. He probably got one walk his whole career. And they asked him, they said, why do you swing at every pitch? And uh, uh, he was from the Dominican Republic. And he said, you can't walk your way off that island. You got to hit your way off that island. <laughs> Oh, I love it. With people, you just can't sit up there with the bat on your shoulder. You got to swing. You got to, oh, yeah. you know, you can't, you, and, and then especially during this time, when the count is full, you can't take a close pitch. You got to be swinging. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, especially that, with that immigrant mentality 
approach where you you get one chance and you, and you take advantage of it. I played baseball my whole life, and uh, that was I got lucky that I got taught that by my by my dad playing ball. Yes. Uh, you're not the guy who goes up looking at the first pitch if it's down the middle. No, you make yeah. him play. You make him, I don't care if it's the first pitch of the game. If it's down the middle, he's 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 mocking you at that point. He's saying I don't. You're not going to do anything against me. I can just throw this easy pitch down the middle, and I know I'm not afraid of you. And, it, yeah, and it, you know, when most teams get behind, even in the pros, they take a pitch. You take take it till you get a strike. I'm going like no. And when I played baseball, sir, honestly, if the count was full, if it was three and zero, I'm swinging. If they threw me a great pitch, I'm swinging. There. <laughs> Just to say, didn't you see the sign? I'm going. I missed the sign. Right. <laughs> you know, Listen, I missed the sign. <laughs> you know how they over there doing it. <laughs> Hey, I just, I, I missed the sign. You know what I mean? Because yes, this thing called life, you got to start swinging. And once you start swinging, you know, um, you know, your personal development, that's how, that's how you become what we call successful, per se. Is it is that personal development, goal setting, and time management, those things play a, a crucial part in your development as a person. Yes, sir. And on a, on a deeper analysis of it all, I, I, I've always fell in love with the idea that no one controls my at-bats. And I mean that like in life, I mean, I control my own at-bats. And um, when I give, when I work the count, quote unquote, I'm letting someone else dictate my future. And I, and I, and I, and I didn't like that idea, even in sports and it translates to life. And I, and I loved how you definitely preach that message throughout the movie. That was my favorite part about it is that you're giving the kids the statistics, you know, 80% likely to go to prison. If you're, if you're from this neighborhood, um, 6% go to even go to college and whatnot. Um, how important was that to you to make sure that it, you can relate it in a sports, I guess, uh, example for them, because maybe that's the only way it made sense for them. You know, they're talking about stats and I'm sure they're only idolizing, you know, pro ball players. And, uh, that was a really smart move and a real genius move for you to do that. Well, I was trying to turn those moments into memories. And so I would give them statistics, you know, you're 80 times more likely to go to jail than you are to go to college. And, and you know, I'm giving statistics like this. Did you know Microsoft had over 100,000 millionaires in that one single company? One single company, Microsoft, and today probably even more. And, you know, when they're talking about, man, don't you want to be like Shaq? Coach, they pay Shaq thousands of dollars per, per game to play in the NBA. I said, I don't want to be like Shaq. I want to be like the man or woman who pays Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, you have a better chance of owning a team than playing on a team. And so when you they look at the real statistics, only one in every 500,000 high school players get a chance to play in the pros. Those are some bleak numbers for you. And it's probably even greater than that with all the players they're bringing in now from all around the world because the players are better ball players now from around the world. So now it's probably one in every 700,000 high school players get a chance to play in the NBA. I just don't like those odds and those numbers for our kids. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, what, what was the reception after the movie, sir? Like you said, you worked with Samuel L. Jackson or Channing Tatum, you know, Robert Richard, like you mentioned, There's a, countless actors that were for a phenomenal experience. What was that? like for you what was it like when the movie came out for your family's you know reception of it all what, what was that experience for you sir you know what i stayed the same you know honestly i didn't move or anything like that i drove the same car you know and and people ask you you know did the movie really change it yeah it can change the way you live and the way what you drive and what you wear i was pretty successful before the movie you know mm -hmm. i had worked hard and uh so i was always uh thrifty and still is and um so it didn't it didn't move me in that type of way that more, I wasn't impressed with limos and going to big parties. That just wasn't a part of my life. You understand? And but I always took it with a grain of salt, and I was just thankful that uh, I was chosen. And which much is given, much is required. And so I'm just trying to do good service. I'm just trying to be obedient and. Um, and, and just continue to give great service to the people who are around me, my family. And for everyone, you have to have a mastermind group. Because it's your immediate family, people at church, people in the community. When you have 50 brains 
trying to solve a problem, you can win. I wonder if you have 500 brains trying to solve a problem. The more brains you can put on something, I think the better results you're going to get. And so in this thing called life, you just got to remember, you're going to have some down days. But what can you do with the sun, the seed, and the soil? You know, if it don't rain, you won't have green grass. <laughs> and it's funny, everything on the planet needs fresh water. And we treat our rivers and, and, and streams just terrible. We pollute them and everything else. And everything on the planet needs fresh water. And so, yes, we need the rain sometimes. You know what I mean? So we can actually sit there. When springtime comes, sir, we can actually appreciate it. Yes, sir. And I, I believe a lot of those uh, those lessons were put into your book, right? What you wrote, I believe 2012 it came out, right, sir? Yes. Yeah. And I actually I actually never knew you had a book until recently. And I was going to buy a copy, but I was like, I think I'm going to ask him for an autographed copy. I think that'd be better. I'd rather read it with my name on it. I think that'd be a good idea. <laughs> but, you got a good idea. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was like, going to go on online. I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'll just wait to buy the autograph. That sounds better. But um. Tell me about that process, sir, because I'm sure that was new for you too. You know, having to put everything down in a book, and um, you know, it's, it's a, essentially it's a new career. I mean, even if it's just one product, you're, you're an author, and you're and it's not a lie. You you did it. You know, tell me about writing your own book. Well, we 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 have, we have several books. It's just not one. We have like five different books now. Wow. And, um, so we just continue to put them out, and I'm and just writing down your notes and things of that nature. You know, you should have your tablet and uh, next to your bed with a pen or pencil and write your thoughts down because you have a great idea. And three years later, you said, man, you'll tell your friends, that was my idea. And they go like, yeah, right. <laughs> but I've had that situation happen to me several times when I was younger. And uh, so now I keep my notes. And the reason the movie came about uh, is because I was extremely organized. And once they see my notes, they were going like, wow. And it was a backstory. See, everybody thought it was about the basketball. I'm going like, these kids live interesting lives, you know, and like Cruz, for instance, Cruz was a drug dealer in, in the, in the movie. Am I correct? Yes. Well, Cruz is still in the drug business, but now he's a doctor. Wow. <laughs> wow. We was talking like, uh, uh, Thursday of last weekend, he was going like, coach, he said, I sell more drugs now than I ever did on the street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. We have, we have some very successful um, players from that team. And um, if I'm not mistaken, of the uh, we had uh, four kids make their living playing professional ball off one team. That's unreal. That never, ever happens. And off that team, I think we have of that 12-man roster, I think we have um, one-third of them have became millionaires. Unbelievable. Wow, that's so crazy. It's, it's been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, you're talking about great business owners and, and things. That, but what I'm really proud of, sir, all the boys had girls. And the girls are more athletic and better athletes than the boys. <laughs> and I tease them about this all the time. And, you know, um, the Kenyan... And Ashanti in the movie, um, that couple is, is together, and they have a daughter who's now starting starting forward for USC. Holy, that's insane! Wow. Yes, yes, and uh, you know it, it is just amazing. You now I see them, and and uh, you know I have a grandson. Damien broke all of my records, and and I'm 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 sitting there with with the parents trying to talk them into sending. DJ to Richmond High so he can break Damien's records. So we, <laughs> so it is real interesting, but all the boys had girls pretty much and the girls are athletic, they smart. And what I'm really proud of is this, they had great dads. Wow. And you know what, sir, like you mentioned a lot Absolutely of them. Absolutely great even, dads. You know, it's, it's funny, sir. It's because a lot of them, like you mentioned, didn't even have, have those father figures. So I, Without without you, I don't know if they're great dads. You know, so you you played you know that important role in their life. Yeah. And my, one of my most favorite players ever, Chris Dixon. I kicked him out of the gym like fifty times a week, <laughs> <laughs> but I just love this kid, and uh, and it is just real funny. He, I used to hug him all the time early, 
And, and they used to always, oh, coach, don't be hugging me, you know. And, and I stopped hugging him, right? And he goes like, coach, you don't love us anymore? I'm like, why do you say that? He's like, you don't hug us anymore. <laughs> it was crazy. And he, out of all the compliments I've received, this young man said this to me. He said, we was all so jealous of Damien. He said, because he had you full time. He said, even though you was with us 80% of your day, you were somewhere around us or we were around you. He said, but after every practice, you would take Damien to the other end of the court and you guys would spend like five minutes just shooting free throws and stuff together. And he said, man, he said, when I become a dad, I'm going to make sure I do the same thing with my son. And he, he has three sons and he makes sure he does every single time. And, and it's just interesting. What a great individual. I mean, um, what I'm really proud of is these boys are just outstanding dads and outstanding young men. That's what I'm really proud of. Wow. That's a, you know, I think that's a, the most beautiful way to, to end our interview, sir. I, I promise you 30 to 45 minutes and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, wow. I mean, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm an officer. Like when you mentioned uh, Cruz is a doctor and I, I, that's, that's insane. I mean, you're, we need more people like you in this world. I mean, you're the, to me, you're, you're lean on me, Morgan Freeman in a sports, in a sports movie. And, and we need more people like that who, who aren't willing to uh, be, unheard by kids or willing to be afraid of kids, you know, who are willing to tell kids the truth and to want to help them and go out of their way, like the way you're doing it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very inspired by you, sir. And I admire someone like you a lot. Well, sir, I, in closing, I'll just simply like to say this. Not all of us can become famous, but each and every one of us can become great because greatness is defined by the service that we give to others. We just got to continually give great service. Yes, sir. I love that. Do you have uh, any uh, social media, sir, or websites for the listeners for them to check out any of your products? Uh, just coachcarter.com. We have the books up there and uh, uh, we just finished another book here. You, you're talking about, yes, ma'am, no, sir. Uh, but we finished this one here called Success Uncomplicated. You know, you call me to get this because I sign every one of my books, you know, and, and uh, send them out to you. And then it's two books in one. You read this one this way. And you turn it over, and then we have Think and Grow Rich. Now, I didn't write this book. Napoleon Hill wrote this book. Yes, sir. The philosophies, this is what changed my life, Think and Grow Rich. Now, we have my version of it attached to my book. Wow. Books in one. That's so crazy. I literally have that book right behind me right now. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so... But my version is a little bit different, and we just give you a little more meat on the bone. And I just want to say everything, one thing to everybody out there, be as kind and generous to everybody you can. Uh, I think that's the key to this thing we call life. And live it every day because you can't get out alive. I love you guys all. And uh, if you want to contact me, go to CoachCarter.com. I actually have a phone number there. You can actually call me. And you're a witness to that. You called me, and I answered the phone. Am I correct? You did, sir. Yes. <laughs> phenomenal i was a little flustered actually i was like oh this is actually i thought i was gonna be an assistant i was like hello how's it going <laughs> and people call me from all around the world young man and i answer the phone and they go like i didn't expect i was going to get you i said well, why did you call <laughs> <laughs> have a great time young man and it's a pleasure talking to you and i'll see everybody soon thank you so much sir have a great day thank you and remember coach carter is coming soon we're in the negotiations for that. So Coach Carter is coming. So be on the lookout for it in a couple of years. Yes, sir. We'll stand by. Thank you, sir. Don't knock your socks off. Take care. You too, sir. Bye-bye. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Our interview with the legendary Coach Ken Carter. Thank you again, Coach, for coming on the podcast. It was a true honor of mine. It really was. That, that movie gets me every damn time i the giving back to the youth and god the speech that the kid makes at the end was like our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate you're like oh my god how does that not make you break down um but this was a huge honor for me and it, and it was a complete privilege i i can't stress that enough thank you so much for coming on the show uh we will be buying his books and all of you should be doing the same it, you, i put a link in the description to them on amazon um like he mentioned in the podcast, you can go on his website. You can send him an email. You can even give him a phone call. I even offered 
you guys, the listeners, to give him a call. He he actually picks up the phone, which is crazy. But uh, yeah, man, what else can I say? An absolute legend and a huge honor of mine. Thank you to everyone for listening, and um, I'll see you guys soon. Peace.